Uh, it's uh, Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 to 34, uh, and the Bible you might have been handed when you arrived. Uh, you'll find that on page 941. Matthew 8, reading verses 18 to 34. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and waves obey him. When he arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, If you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. He said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into town and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. Such is the word of the Lord. Morning, everyone. Better late than never, they say. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you that uh, we can hear your word. Thank you that we can know it. Thank you that we do know it. We pray that you would help us to know it better. Be with us today as we expand our understanding, encourage us, strengthen us, fill us with hope. Challenge us and keep me from error, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Lord of the Underworld is the title for this sermon today and this section. This section goes from chapter of, uh, 8, verse 1 through to 9.35. It's the end of chapter 9. Uh, it's, it's Jesus in his full power over disease 
death and demons. And that's a little bit, that's in focus here. Follow is a big word throughout this whole passage. So if you look for, if you do nothing, Keith's sermon's pretty boring, just look for how many times follow occurs in these two chapters. They occurred nine times. And that's the first point. Follow me from verses 18 to 22. There's an urgency which we've seen in this whole gospel so far and it's come from Jesus. This urgency to grasp what God is doing in these last days because the appeal has been to the Jewish audience around him and to find the kingdom of God because time is short. Jesus is here and he is the one who is about to close the door and open the door to all. And we see that start in this. There's a sense, though, that as Jesus goes, he's held up by hangers-on. don't know if you noticed that in verses 18 and onwards. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. That's where we're going, to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go bury my father. Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Now there's no one who reads verse 8, 21 and doesn't have some sort of, uh, sorry, verse 22, and doesn't have a little bit of a pain in this. But again, there's this sense of urgency. Time is short, and that's what's happening here. Jesus, in verse 18, has a place to go. He's to cross the lake, and this is interrupted. It's stalled by these two people. And it seems to be behind why Jesus responds this way, because he's blunt and it sorts them out because they are people who say, but will they follow? I will follow, says the teachers of the law. I will follow you wherever you go. It's a big statement, isn't it? I will follow you wherever you go. And so Jesus lays this out. Foxes have dens. Birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place at all. Here is where Jesus uses that word for the first time about himself, the Son of Man. In the Old Testament, the Son of Man is to be human, to be fragile. That's the common usage of the term. Jesus is using it in an interesting way and Matthew will combine it. He will combine that meaning, Jesus is human, with the other term that comes from Son of Man. Where does the other term and the other meaning of the Son of Man come from in the Old Testament? Do you know? Someone knows. Daniel chapter 7. Those two terms will come together in a very interesting way. 
Jesus in all his human and representative of being human and frailty, which he will take and suffer and die on the cross for, he will marry. Make sure you know that he marries the other side of Son of Man, which is the Daniel 7 Son of Man, who is one like the Son of Man who is taken to the Ancient of Days. And if you look at Daniel 7, the movement is up, not down, up, as he comes to God. So there's that interesting marry of the two terms, human in all its frailness as we are and suffering through all the things that the world can throw at you, in particularly for him, rejection and the cross, death, but risen as the Son of Man, glorious and presented as the Son of Man of Daniel 7 in chapter uh, 7, as the glorious one. Those two terms will come together and it's the first time he calls himself here. There is need, Jesus saying, for total compliance. And as we said, there's an urgency. It's an urgency we find in Jeremiah chapter 16, where God tells Jeremiah, do not enter a house where there is feasting and sit down to eat and drink because time is short. The disaster is here. Jesus also has that urgency. You'll see it in Ezekiel chapter 24, verse 17, where Ezekiel is told to not do the funeral rites and so the customary practices. And so Jesus again responds in something that is from the old prophets, that urgency that God is on the move, it's here in Jesus' message. And he goes, he's about to depart for this Gentile territory. It's a message, as we've said, that is light into the darkness of that Gentile world. Uh, it's a darkness that covers them all as they live in the shadow of death. You remember that from Isaiah chapter 9, which was quoted by Matthew. Matthew, you will use this term, son of man, to make sure that we understand that Jesus, this one of human, will deliver us from this darkness in glory. And Jesus crosses the sea. Peter Bolt said, that is a great day of human history. Secondly, from verses 23 to 27, the underworld. Jesus gets into a boat, verse 23, and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came upon the lake so that the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? And he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Here, the focus on the, is not on the storm, but rather it is on the sea and the turbulence and the waves. The disciples and Jesus have hopped in a boat, getting back to that idea in verse 18. Where were they going? They were crossing the lake. 
and here we are on our way. But in the ancient world, and very much in the Jewish world, the sea was a very, very scary place. Jewish people are not sailors. They're not, not interested in getting in boats normally and going anywhere because the sea is a bad place. In the ancient Near East, all around them, the idea of the sea is that it is a portal. You like that word, portal? Does anyone know what portal means? Is it, does anyone know what that means? I just use it. I don't think I understand it. Portal. It's a portal to the underworld. It's a connector between the world, which is full of darkness and death and chaos and all those forces you don't know about and our world. And that's why that idea of the sea is a place you don't want to go swimming. We go out there, don't we? We swim and we surf and we, what else do we do? Boats and we ski. Do you ski? Anyone ski? I can't ski. It's a dangerous, dangerous misery. The Jewish world, the world around them, the sea is a place where it connects you to the place of chaos. And the sea threatens in this picture to grab them and to take them down, drag them down to that underworld. We read Jonah. Did we read Jonah? I wasn't here. Did we read? It's very clear in Jonah's story. Like Jesus, Jonah is given a mission to the Gentiles. To what city? Did anyone? Nineveh. And where is Nineveh today? It was in Assyria. Where is Assyria? Did anyone know where Assyria is? Iran, Iraq, that sort of way? Yes, that's right. Jonah is meant to be going to the Gentiles, like Jesus. Unlike Jesus, Jonah has got in the boat to go the other way. He's running away. But Jonah, of course, though he tries to use his boat to escape, he can't escape. You remember there's a great storm and the sailors cry out to their gods and they're looking for Jonah to do the same thing. Everyone needs to do this. We need to get as much help as we can. And where is Jonah? He too, he's downstairs. He too is asleep. And so as we read this Matthew count, those bells start ringing. Jonah tells the sailors to cast him into the sea. They don't want to do that, you remember. They won't want to do that. But they do when he, make, he convinces them. They throw him in. And when he's thrown into the sea, what happens? The sea calms. And you remember the belly of the, the fish? It's a, any, what sort of whale do you think it is? Good. That's good. It's not a whale at all. Glad that's an answer. Just like there's no apple in the in the garden in the garden, so there is no whale. It is a big fish. Swallows him. And in the belly of the fish, Judah cries, You brought me up from the pit. As he goes down, he is going into the underworld. But God 
saves him. And so from in the belly of the fish, I would have thought he's saved when he gets vomited. But Jonah, in the belly of the fish, realizes what God has done, has saved him. And he says, you brought up my life from the pit. That's why Jonah says that. It looked like I was a goner into that underworld, but you saved me. Here, now in another great storm, the boat carrying the Son of Man and his disciples, like Jonah, Jesus is sleeping. Like the sailors in Jonah, the disciples wake up Jesus with the urgent request in verse 25, Save us, Lord, we're going to drown. In Jonah, as we said, the sea stops when he is thrown in. Here, in verse 26b, Jesus rebuked, whatever that means. I'm not totally sure, but he says, basically stop, I suppose. Rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. Verse 27, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Do you notice they're not referred to in verse 27 as disciples? It's odd. They're called men. Matthew changed that on purpose. Why? Because right there, right then, they are not his followers. They're not his disciples at all. In the presence, they are like everyone else we've seen. They are bewildered. They are astonished. What kind of man is this? What is the answer? Who stills the waves? The answer really is God. Only God calms the waves at his command. But it's actually a question that's posed and it remains unanswered till we go to point three, Lord of the Underworld in verses 28 to 34. When he arrived, that's Jesus, at the other side of the region of the Gadareans, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God, they shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them a herd of pigs were feeding and the demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. He said to them, go. So they came out and went into the pigs and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Here is Jesus on the other side of the lake. He is in Gentile territory. It is the region of the Gadareans. It is that place that we've been talking about from Isaiah 9, Matthew 4, verse 16. The people living in darkness are here, those living in the land of the shadow of death. Two men emerge from the tombs. Complete and utter darkness. Uh, a friend of mine just went to, uh, just yesterday, I think he posted it on Facebook, he went to, he's in Nepal. Have you heard of Nepal? It's a, it's a place, yeah. Uh, and he went to a Hindu temple 
where people only come to this temple for one reason only. They come to die. Elderly people tend to come. I assume there's others as well. Elderly people come and they spend their last days at this temple and then they die. And then all day, every day, there are funeral pyres for the dead. And it is a place, he says, that just is death. That's what he said. It was a dark place, a very odd place to be. These people are people who emerge from the darkness, so to speak. They come from the tombs, these two men, verse 28. And their violence is stressed. They are so violent that no one can pass this way. Remember our question, who is this man? Actually, it hasn't been answered by anyone, except it's answered here in verse 29 by the two men. The men of darkness, the darkness answers. What do you want with us, son of God? Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? We've had that term, son of man. Now we have the term, son of God. And the first ones to recognise it in Matthew's gospel are on the lips of the darkness, the demons themselves. They are the ones who recognise Jesus' lordship. Who is this man? He is the son of God. The one who holds in his hand at the appointed time their destruction. Jesus, with his time is short, is fully justified here because they back it up. What is happening? The end has begun here in Jesus. Jesus, the light, is here. They beg for their survival, not destruction. They beg to be driven out into the pigs. And I know lots of people always wonder about pigs and things like that, and I, I'm not really going to answer because that's where they're going. But notice what happens to them. They rush down the steep hill to where? The sea that we just crossed. What is the sea? The underworld darkness. Jesus, the one who casts out demons and returns them to where they belong. Jesus had saved the disciples from the sea and now the demons are sent into the sea. And the two men are freed, freed by the Son of God, the Lord of the underworld, the Lord of the day to come. Jesus has come to free the captives, to shine that light, to be that light in this darkness. We assume they're overjoyed, but Matthew has no interest whatsoever in telling you what those two men felt. He misses it. One of those questions, like, Matthew, what's that? He doesn't tell me. 
I assume they're overjoyed, but not everyone else is, verse 33 and 34. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And then the whole town came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. It's one of those moments of disbelief. They pleaded with him to leave. And do you know the, the word plead, you might have guessed in verse 34, is the same word in verse 31 where the demons begged. It's the same word. The people, the villagers begged Jesus to leave. The disciples asked for us all, what kind of man is this? The answer has been given. He is the Son of God, Lord of the underworld, the final day. How will this light affect the darkness? Well, it will blow it away, send the darkness back to where it came from, yet not all will like that. They beg him to go away. They're scared. When we had astonished, now we have fear. The darkness wants to push the light away, away from them. Ironically, the darkness in this story recognises Jesus' lordship, but the people who are surrounded in darkness remain blind to his light. It's a thrilling, ripping yarn, really, isn't it? But nothing has actually changed. There are still people, plenty of people, who do not wish to see who Jesus is. We know that. Our world is like that. Some of our friends and some painfully some of our family are like this, sometimes aggressively so. Not begged, get. <laughs> but Jesus, the light, has come, and come he has into our lives. I pretty much know you, and I know that's true for you, that the one who is like us, this son of man, Son of God, came to save us and take us in all our fragility and make us like his holiness. He took the punishment of death on himself to release us, captives. We are the Gentiles in this story, I think, as I know. We are the ones who have been called out to and receive the light. We have been brought from darkness into his light, the one who has come for us to free us. Then in all the storms in our life, though they still rage, he has set us free in him. We do not fear the darkness or the underworld because he is the Lord of it all and he will judge the living and the dead and because of his victory, he has us 
in his side. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we uh, we thank you for this. Uh, it's quite quite amazing, really, this whole saga. Wonderful that we can read about how Jesus interacts with our world. We must realise we give you thanks and praise that he came for us. We were in darkness. We are surrounded by darkness. But you in your light have come for us. We pray that we would know that we are people of the light. We pray that we would live as people of the light. We've painfully perhaps been reminded of our, of our world that lives in that darkness who sometimes begs Jesus to go away. And we are pained to know that sometimes that's our family, sometimes that's our friends, and we think of them all right now. We bring them to you. And we ask, Lord, please open their eyes, open their hearts, that they might receive the risen Lord into their lives, to know that he has triumphed over death, that he is Lord of all, that in all our frailty he has taken us to be his and he will transform us to be your eternal people. Thank you, Lord, that by that your spirit, you are doing that in us right now. We are people of eternity. We pray, Lord, that you would keep transforming us, that we might know the risen Saviour's power in our lives to live faithfully for you, in all that we do and say. We pray, Lord, that we might be your witnesses to know and to speak about your greatness, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.